Hey, Keith, did you hear? Multi-Oscar award-winning actor Daniel Day-Lewis is retiring from acting. Yeah, it was really sad to hear that. It's really surprising because it, it seems like he's at the top of his game and he's only 60, so like he's going to need a second career now. Oh, I heard he's going to open his own um, shop, you know, his own confectionery shop. Uh, essentially, he's going to be making milkshakes, but you don't get to drink them. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Servato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say, get a life. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Geek Counter Geek number 92. I'm Keith Conrad, Elliot Serrano. Joining me as always, Elliot, uh, I, I, I assume at this point you've gotten over the shock of Daniel Day-Lewis. Well, I will say this. Um, I certainly hope I make it further in whatever I'm doing in my career than he does. Quitter. The quitter. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So you won three Oscars. Big deal. Well, Quitter. He, he felt like he had won enough. You know, he didn't want other actors to feel bad because he kept winning them and they weren't. You know, he, he's he's really clearing the way for Tom Hanks to win his third. Finally, you know, yeah. for Tom. Tom's been waiting. But yeah, no, congrats to him. And man, I wish I could. I mean, again, I wish I could just decide to retire at 60. I'm going to tell you something. My, I'm going to retire. I, I, I'm not going to retire. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be working until my lunch break on the day of my funeral. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'll be a little awkward. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, he's late to his funeral. Well, he, I, I stopped to get something to eat before I climbed into the coffin. So, <laughs> so uh, also, uh, sad news over the past uh, week or so that uh, Adam West passed away. It was, uh, I think it was 87 or 88, so he he definitely hung in there, especially because uh, from every article that I read about him after he died, he led a, a pretty wild lifestyle. He did, and, and all, but he was also battling um, a disease. It's not coming to mind right now which one it is. Um, so, I mean, chances are if it weren't for that, he probably could have kept on going, old chum. Um, but, yeah, there, there were yeah. a lot of tributes to, uh, you know, Adam West. I know Burt Ward uh, said a few things. Um, the, the, the city of Los Angeles projected the back signal on the side of one of the buildings there and, you know, Remembering Batman and and you know, a lot of a lot of love and appreciation was uh, was being passed around for Batman, which you know it's a sign of my age. But right now the uh, the uh, Adam West Batman ranks as my favorite Batman. You know, for a while there I was really into the um, the Michael Keaton one, but I've swung back Adam West. I don't know why. I'm just you know feeling nostalgic. You know, it's interesting, the uh, the Michael Keaton Batman, you know, at least that, you know, the, the, those two movies really haven't aged that well. Because, like, at the time, it was supposed to be, like, a more serious, almost realistic version of the, you know, 
of the of the comic books and the and the TV series, and now it actually seems almost as campy as the uh, as the nineteen sixties TV series. Oh yeah, and you know it's very um, melodramatic. Uh, the score, I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong; they are fun movies uh, for what they are. But I, I, I'm going to tell you, it's it's funny. You watch that Batman, um, that uh, Batman '66. You know the Adam, uh, the um, Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman movie where um, there's it's Lee. Everybody's in there except for Lee Merriweather, who is the Catwoman, as opposed to say Julie Newmar, Eartha Kitt. You know, you watch that movie today, and I, I remember watching it on uh, Svengoolie uh, a while back. It it holds up really well because the movie itself realizes that it's a campy farce and it just goes so over the top on everything that it just it it just it works. Everything works from the time it first aired to today. And I'm serious. Have you know Batman running around the pier with a giant, you know, Bugs Bunny bomb overhead? <laughs> Sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. Yeah, just can't get rid of one, and you know that's what Sony executives are saying today, as far as most of their movie slate. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you watch you watch that movie; it holds up if you take it for what it is. It really holds up, and I remember when I saw that movie as a kid. Um, on um, Fox, I think they showed it late in the afternoon one day on Fox on thir- Channel Thirty Two, um, the local Chicago Fox affiliate. WFLD. I remember WFLD. I remember there's a scene when Bruce Wayne, who's been captured by the villains, decides to try to fight his way out, and it's Adam West doing the choreographed fighting. And to me, in my head, that made perfect sense. I'm there going, oh, Bruce Wayne. He can fight as Batman, so of course he can fight as Bruce Wayne. You know, mind you, as a young kid, that made sense to me. Later on, I would go, no, wait a minute. He's actually betraying his secret identity because Bruce Wayne shouldn't really be that capable. So, but, you know, there were logic. There, there were certain bits of logic in the movie then that made perfect sense to me. And again, movie really holds up. I strongly encourage anyone who has not seen it. You know, let's say you only caught a few snippets or a couple episodes of the old TV show. By all means, this is the movie to see. It's got all the great things. It's got the bat cave. It's got the bat bike, the bat helicopter, and yes, bat shark repellent. I, I was about to say that that's probably the most important thing. You know, you got to have your your bat shark repellent. So. Um, a, a fun, fun film, and um, you know, yes, you know, uh, it's all our all our childhood heroes are going, man. They're dying, left and right. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I mean, I I remember watching. I I forget if it was on WFLD Channel Thirty Two Fox here in Chicago, or uh, one of the other stations that ran Batman uh, every uh, every afternoon. And, you know, I was glued to the TV. Obviously, it was reruns. They were, they were you know, several years old at that point. But uh, it was still something that, uh, you know, I was seeing it for the first time. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, plopping down in front of the TV and watching them uh, every afternoon. You know, um, it's funny when you consider that 
a lot of this i mean now you can just watch it on youtube or online and you know on your phone and that media is so um readily available but before it was really was you call it appointment television yeah yeah even even reruns like you know that and uh you know i think uh my afternoons were basically you know batman reruns and star trek reruns and uh you know for me it it you know even the reruns were appointment viewing Right, and I, I, I the the thing that always happened to me on the Batman television series, I never got to see the resolution of a cliffhanger because <laughs> they would the reruns. I, either I missed them or they would air them out of order. So you know, I'd be like, uh, "What's going to happen to our Cape Crusaders?" And then have a big cliffhanger ending. Ending, I tune in the next day and I'd be like, "What? What happened? Why? Wait." I, I wanted to see what happened next. Um, so it, between that and Rocky and Bullwinkle, which always left ended with cliffhanger endings. Oh, yeah, they were famous the for joke, that. Right, they were famous for that. But the joke was that the next episode, it was just start all over again. You know, you would never see the resolution of a cliffhanger because that, that was just a bit. It was like, yeah, okay, what? Wait, how'd they get out of that last week? You know? <laughs> Well, I mean that—that's actually a good, uh, a, a clever, uh, cle- clever twist on everything. Because you know, usually, uh, you know, th- there would be some, uh, some somewhat unfulfilling way that they would get out of, uh, out of it, uh, and, right. and this sort of like gets rid of that altogether by just saying, "Well, we yeah. just won't show you how they got out of it." Yeah, they—they they got out of it. We won't show you how, but they got out of it, and now they've moved on to the next thing. So. <clears throat> but again, you know, the Batman, the Batman, uh, the 66 Batman series, a uh, lot of fun. Um, and, and, you know, I, I got to say, um, it's a sign of my age, but I will take that over any Joel Schumacher film right now. You know, I, th- I think that um, uh, yeah, the Joel Schumacher era, I think we've all sort of uh, decided to collectively forget about that and we're actually going to talk a little bit about joel shoemaker a little bit later in the podcast so stay tuned for that uh and you will get the resolution of that cliffhanger uh but um you know when i think about it you know like the original adam west batman was very quotable and you know you 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 know i i think that's it's very memorable and the um you know, and and the the Michael Keaton era Batman is is very quotable. Uh, the the other one's not so much. I mean, the the Christopher Nolan Batman they're really good stories, um, but I I don't think they they have quite the quotability of um, of uh, of the other versions. And you know, I I think you gotta there, there's something to be said for that. You know, maybe those being a little bit more memorable. Well, the thing about the Christopher Nolan films with uh, Christian Bale was that, no, Batman was not as quotable outside of, um, where is she, you know, or pray to me, you know, like two lines where people would quote Batman. Beyond that, it was always the villains that were quotable. You know, yeah, you look at yeah. um, um, the, the Dark Knight. Um, uh, yeah, it's all. Heath Ledger Joker lines. Yeah, I mean, really, the only uh, the only Christian Bale line that uh, that I've ever found myself quoting is where the uh, you know the the fat vigilante Batman from the uh, from the beginning of the Dark Knight, you know, one of them's tied up and he goes, "What's the difference between you and me?" And he goes, "I'm not wearing hockey pads." 
Right. And, yeah. and, and I'll find myself self, uh, breaking that one out every once in a while. But I think that's about it from the Christian Bale era, as good as those movies are. Yeah, pretty much. And then, so then you go to the 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 um, Adam West Batman, and there was always a little lesson there. He was teaching Robin, talking about English. My my favorite, uh, I remember it was uh, the, there was one episode where um, they're in the Batcave. And uh, Robin slides down the uh, the goes down the uh, the ladder that's at the top of the the nuclear reactor in the Batcave, and and he goes I forget he goes under it, and then Batman admonishes him don't go under um never go under a ladder, and Robin goes why what do you mean Batman is it you what you 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 believe in uh, it's gonna cause me bad luck he goes no someone could be on that ladder. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, that's you know, there was always like that little bitty lesson, you know, there. And then, gosh, Batman, you're right. <laughs> now, uh, I, uh, I I hate to go full uh, Rick Kempfer here, uh, you know, Rick from uh, Minutia Men, but I do have my own little uh, run in uh, with, with Adam West uh, in that uh, um, I, ne- I never met him in person. But he's one of only two guests that I've booked on a radio show that have ever hung up on me. <laughs> and, well, and, this and it, I've got to hear. And, and in both cases, it was because um, it, it was because uh, I I had them too long on on hold for too long uh, for their liking. Now I will say that in both cases, both of these men did you know like when I called them back, they were happy to you know be on the show as scheduled they just thought they were on hold for too long and they hung up on me i was gonna say come on radio producer dude (laughs) can't have your guests on hold through like two spots two 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 sets of spots and traffic and news come on man he was basically just like hey i'm adam freaking west you can't have me on hold forever and and by the way just for the record the other person that hung up on me was uh, senator rand paul uh, I wouldn't have called him back. I would have just told him, you know, don't don't worry about it. Just, you know, you you stay in your your world of the crazies. You know, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you're in your 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 libertarian slash anarchist worldview. And of course, naturally, the the one politician I'm able to book an interview with that I actually kind of like, he's the one that hangs up on me. Oh well, no no one wants no one wants to talk to the lesser the lesser Paul. Everyone knows Ron Paul was where it was at. Yeah, you know. He, he brought the crazy big time. And if you want more close calls of celebritydom, you'll definitely want to check out the Minutia Men podcast with Rick and Dave here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You know, Rick had such a long, illustrious career that I think he literally has, uh, he has a celebrity run-in for every, uh, any occasion. It's actually kind of impressive. I, even I'm a little jealous. I can come up with plenty celebrity runaways. <laughs> <laughs> One's a run away from me. <clears throat> Elliot, what's your most famous celebrity restraining order? <laughs> Let's not go there. I've, I've, I've also got non-disclosure agreements. I need to keep a, keep in mind. Oh, of, yeah, that's uh, that's aggers. that's very important. And, uh, you know, of course, also on the Radio Misfits podcast network, uh, you have, uh, as we mentioned, uh, Minutia Men. You have uh, uh, actually caffeinated comics now, we should mention. Uh, they, Caffeinated comics, yeah. 
they they've made the move and, and I, I do believe that the two shows are different enough that we're definitely not competing with each other. I think, you know, there's probably some crossover in the audience, but we're, we're definitely not competing with each other. No, and I've, I've been on Caffeinated Comics a bunch of times, and uh, John Clark and Stephen Brown are a great pair. They, but they talk comics and movies, whereas <clears throat> we, tend, we will also talk comics and movies sometimes when we like getting into the ger- geeky, nerdy stuff, talking about funding for NASA, which is like your thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't get me started on that. Don't get started. And, and then, of course, uh, who will appear in Dunkirk? I don't know they're going... I don't think they'll ever go that far on uh, Caffeinated Comics. Although, speaking of appearing on other podcasts, um, guess who wants to do a crossover with us? Um, uh, on a quest with Joel Urchak. I would love to do on a quest with Jill Urchek, and I love Jill. I've met Jill; she's great. But uh, that's not who I'm talking about. Uh, actually, the Dishing Bitches, Dishing Bitches are all—they are ready to do a crossover episode with us. We oh, wow. can all be together. Yes, um, I, I was—I was talking to Stephanie Bashar of the Dishing Bitches, and she—we were—I was telling her about how we're big fans, and we talk about them from time to time on Geek Counter Geek. She went. We need to get together. We need to do a crossover. I said I'm all over that. So uh, be be on the lookout for that. The the dishing geeks. I could see it now. Or how about the bitching geeks? Oh, that would work too. That that would actually probably be kind of fitting. <laughs> so, so so that that should be fun. Yeah, that, that should be fun. Uh, I I, was, I think that I think that would be a lot of fun. I'm, I, uh, I I think we need to make that happen. No, definitely. Definitely. And, um, you know, if, if you're going to be listening to any of these podcasts, especially crossovers, uh, you need to do it on headphones and accessories from Tweaked Audio, sponsors of Geek Counter Geek. They offer key features such as eight colors and styles, mic the non mic version, so you can listen to uh, me and uh, Keith in one ear and the Dishing Bitches in the other. Uh, they're designed to sound great for music and talk, have a noise-reducing design, and a lifetime warranty. If you order, go to tweakedaudio.com and enter the discount code GCG at checkout. And you will get a 33% off discount and uh, free worldwide shipping. The code is not case-sensitive. Again, it's GCG for Geek Counter Geek. Get 33% off your total order with free worldwide shipping. Come on. How much of a better deal can you get than that? Elliot, get ready to feel a little smug. Uh, Dangerously smug? Because I'm telling you, I am always smug. (laughs) So they they had a a little Battlestar Galactica reunion at the ATX uh, Television Festival at the end of May. And uh, not everybody was there, but uh, most of the cast and Ronald D. Moore was there. And he dropped a little nugget about Battlestar Galactica, obviously the reimagining of Battlestar Galactica, that um, I think a lot of us probably sort of had picked up on over the years. Uh, He says the Cylons never had a plan at all. (laughs) I think... I think we figured that out when they had that movie, uh, Battlestar Galactica, The Plan. And, and it didn't really make any reveal. sense. Yeah. And, and, yeah. They, 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 there was really no plan. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, it's funny because I kept hearing all. You know, the, the, it's funny because not only were the producers during this whole thing trying to drop about the plan this, the plan that, but you had all these fans making up theories and the like. And so when you have a, them come out at the end and say, "Hey, you know what? We had no plan in the end," I'm like, "Eh, I believe it." Uh, the, the ones who really set the bar for that sort of thing were the uh, were Lindelof, David Lindelof, and Carlton Cuse when they did um, Lost, and they came out and admitted that whatever ending they came up with was not going to resolve everything that they had set up in the show. There was no way they could do it, you know. And and you're you're sitting there going, "Come on, man! You spent all this time mapping things out." I mean, I blame J.J. Abrams for leaving and then le- let, leave, letting those guys just pretty pretty much do whatever they and, want. And then the inmates for running the <laughs> asylum. Pretty much. Um, funny thing about Battlestar Galactica and that very thing about the plan, uh, the Cylons plan, that actually influenced my writing on Army of Darkness when I had my run on the book. Um I had planned out a two-year run um, um, ambitiously, uh, and I only got a, a little over a year. I got like 13 issues in a special, which was, you know, pretty good considering. <clears throat> but I remember I was setting up what the plan, the quote-unquote schemes of the Elder Gods or the, you know, the um, the uh, um, the demons, the, the evil um, uh, um entities that come from the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, that they had this big um, scheme, a plan in place to finally deal with Ash, you know, who was like their greatest enemy. And I had it all mapped out in my head. And then uh, I remember when I when I kind of had to cut it short, um, I had to rush it through at the end. And when I when I, you know, flipped over my last card as to what the actual plan was going to be. Um, I don't think people got it, and they probably thought, "Oh, <laughs> it's this guy didn't know what he was going to do, and he just up with whatever he felt like." <laughs> but, but if you read the whole run and you get to the very end, there is a reason for uh, the way it ends, the way it does. I just couldn't set it up properly, unlike you know Ronald Moore and the BSG guys, who I, I, they had plenty of time. Well. It- he uh, he kind of throws David Ike under the bus, and he says that uh, it was it was something that David Ike threw in because he thought it sounded cool, which from all the uh, all the interviews that I've I've heard, uh, you know, from from those two at the time and, and since, it really seems like you know R- Ronald Moore is basically you know sort of the 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 writer creative type, and um, you know. David Icke is more of the network suit type of guy. So I just, I keep picturing, uh, you know, the, um, the, uh, the episode of the Simpsons where they added Poochie and, you know, they say, uh, um, you know, he's, he's totally proactive and the, and the writers like, isn't that just a buzzword? People, you know, dumb people use to sound intelligent. Yeah. I, I just picture, I just picture like David Icke being one of those guys. Sorry if David listens to this podcast, but that's just how I picture him. No, I'm, I think David I died on his way home to his planet, much, I, much I, like Gucci. I think he clearly did. And uh, <laughs> uh, in addition to that, I, I've basically decided that this was the week that uh, every 
every producer director type decided to get together and uh, make amends with the fan bases because in addition to uh ronald d moore uh, Joel Schumacher talked with Vice about the 20th anniversary of Batman and Robin, which is apparently something we're celebrating. And uh, uh, <laughs> Joel Schumacher, uh, he actually apologized uh, to, to everybody who, uh, who thought it was a bad movie. And um, I, I'm not sure that I accept his apology, but, you know, it's a nice gesture. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because Batman and Robin actually feels closer to the um, old Batman television series. I mean, you could tell that's the direction that Schumacher was going in. I mean, you had the his first film uh, right after, you know, when Tim Burton decides not to come back to do a third uh, Batman film, and then Michael Keaton decides he's had enough of it, and they recast Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne. Joel Schumacher comes in, does Batman Forever with... Uh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face and Jim Carrey as Hitler. And, and you could tell that they were doing, you know, again, these movies were doing the, the, the stunt casting of the villains, much like the old television series did right. um, with their villains. The only thing they didn't um, do so, is they didn't have uh, the person, uh, you know, they didn't have Batman climbing the wall with the uh, celebrity cameo sticking their, their head out the window. Correct, uh, except in Batman Forever, where the Batmobile goes up the side of a building. Oh, that's right, it does. Yeah. Um, and I and I see. I remember that, and I'm going. It was a clever little nod, like to the old Batman series. You can tell Ju Joel Schumacher was doing that. Plus, in that scene, Elliot Goldenthal, the uh, the 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 composer of the score, does a quick nod to the old. Batman television series score that bit that with the with the, um, the trumpets uh, trumpet trill as the Batmobile is going up the side of the building. It sounds like a, a, a snatch of music from the old television series. So <clears throat> he, he, Schumacher toyed with it a little bit in Batman Forever. Um, I, I actually enjoyed Batman Forever. I thought it was um, one of the better Batman movies. Had a little more humor. Um, the you know Bat the Batman Returns the second Burton film was just so dark and so depressing. I remember thinking, boy, Tim Burton needs his Ritalin or you know he needs his antidepressants or whatever because he is bringing me down with this one. Yeah, because it's not like uh, it's not like the uh, you know the the first Batman movie was a laugh riot, but uh, you know I think they they broke it up enough. Right. It had it, it was it wasn't as dark. It wasn't as um. Is is again as deeply depressing, uh, but Schumacher brought a nice colorful palette to Batman Forever. It was kind of cool. Uh, Val Kilmer did some cool fight scenes. You know, he knew martial arts. It was neat. Da da da. But then Batman and Robin comes along, and at that point, Schumacher goes full '66 Batman, and then you have Schwarzenegger as Mister Freeze. You have Uma Thurman as um. Poison Ivy, I forget whoever it was, they got to play Bane. And they uh, just completely go, he goes all camp with that one. Now, mind you, I haven't seen, um, I have not seen Batman and Robin in a really long time. Um, oh, and then, oh, that's right. And then they bring in uh, Batgirl as well. Uh, um, what's her uh, name? Alicia Silverstone. Clueless. Yeah. 
Alicia Silverstone uh, comes in and and they did they decide to throw everything in the kitchen sink. Uh, George Clooney takes over as Batman, and this is not long after he had left ER. And the problem I was having with uh, Batman and Robin was I would look at George Clooney, and this is before he learned how to act as somebody other than Doug Ross from ER. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I kept seeing Doug Ross. I mean, he had all the same mannerisms, the speech patterns, everything. I'm like, dude, you're you're doing your character from the TV show that you left. You know, he needed a director to pull a different type of performance out of him, and that wouldn't happen yet. Um, and then, you know, Clooney would become uh, a real actor in some of the other stuff. I guess when when, when you work with Soderbergh, you, you suddenly can't fake it anymore. You can't phone it in. You know, so yeah. that's 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 kind of like what happened. Um, but I, I, I remember it just with Batman around with bright color palette, um, very cartoony, very humorous, uh, very much a product of the 90s. You know, it was very yeah. much a product in the '90s. I, I remember was, it, it one of the uh, one of the more obvious uh, tips of the cap to the uh, to the other Batman uh, TV series was, uh, you know, they're they I think they're they're going to the like Mister Freeze's lair or something, and they they land on this island, and it's like this big metal thing, and Robin goes, "Holy rusted metal, Batman!" Pretty much, right? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, so they were like, okay, you know, we're, that's the direction they were going in. But that, the, the thing is that then Schumacher forgot that that was what they were trying to get away from with the movies. And what made the first two movies successful is that they weren't anything like the old TV show. That they gave the Batman character more of a sense of gravitas and seriousness. And that by going too far, you know, when the pendulum was swinging the other way... Then you had all these Batman fanboys going, well, this is what we hated about the TV show. I wasn't going to go to see this at the movie. That's how they sound <laughs> in my head. That, that's how uh, they sounded in real life, too. In real life. And, and, they, and they pretty much rejected that. I mean, to the point where I think it's, I think the, the, the venom that gets you know, sent in the direction of Batman and Robin and Batman Forever is pretty over-exaggerated. I mean, the movies themselves are just, fun, you know, lighthearted fair. I mean, there's certainly nothing as bad as, let's say, a Michael Bay Transformers movie. Nothing so, will ever be that bad. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll give I'll give Joel Schumacher his props in that he he's he's like he's come out and he's apologized for it. Although that to me is just feeding into the stupid fan entitlement thing, you know, or, uh, you know, I apologize to the fans. But don't apologize to the fans, please. No, you, you know, you, I, you, you know, you said this with a, a couple different things. You know, if you made the, 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 the story that you wanted to, to make, you know, don't apologize for it. It doesn't matter if anybody else likes it. You had the chance to make what you wanted and you made what you wanted. You know, just, just revel in that fact. Right, and then when you start apologizing to the fans who bitch and moan about those things, all you're doing is encouraging them to bitch and moan more. And I, I was reading on one of the, um, I forgot what site it was, but it was the whole, but the tagline at the end was, Joel Schumacher has apologized. Do you accept his apology? Like, shut up! As if Joel Schumacher's going to lose sleep over whether you accept his apology or not. <laughs> you know? 
Shut like, up. To, to me, they're, you know, the way you're spotting something like that is, well, you know, if they didn't like it, I would encourage them to uh, make their own movie. Yeah, make your own damn movie. All right? Just, just shut up. <laughs> After a while, I just get tired of it. Like, they're, everyone's comic book guy all of a sudden. I'm going to write a very strongly worded letter on the internet about how displeased I was with this film. Worst you know, you movie your money ever. Already. Yeah, really. You know, you're going to bitch about it, but you're, you're going to go to the next movie anyway. Admit <laughs> it. You're going to go to the next movie anyway. You can complain all you want about Transformer films. You're going to go to the next movie, right? There's a reason why they make billions of dollars. They don't uh, make millions. They make billions of dollars. Actually, I gave up after the moon one, and it hasn't hurt them at all. Yeah, it hasn't. Because people still go. The, the, the premiere just happened tonight at um, in Chicago, and I walked by the Civic Opera House where they're holding it. Wow. Who, I mean, holy crap. They're setting it up at the Civic Opera House. They did a bit where they put the, the quote-unquote carpet is on the Chicago River. This contraption where they put like a deck out onto the river where the red carpet people are coming through. And they have like in these vehicles that are some you know inflatable giant inflatable vehicles that are supposed to represent like Optimus Prime and the other Transformers of the film. And then at the Civic Opera House itself, the line goes all the way down the block. I mean, people are there to see this movie. So yeah, you can complain all you want, and you. And I'm gonna tell you right now, Michael Bay does not apologize for shit. He is not gonna come back later and say, "Hey, I'm sorry that Optimus Prime turned evil in the last movie." Okay. He's just gonna laugh in in the in his uh, Scrooge McDuck vault full of gold coins. He's gonna just go <laughs> well, diving all, into it. All I know yeah. is they actually made a movie that involved the moon landing, and they still couldn't keep my attention. So that that's that's not good. Well, this new one's got King Arthur, the Knights of the Round Table, and Merlin. Oh, nice. So, so uh, uh, obviously, Ronald D. Moore is and. Ronald D. Moore and uh, Joel Schumacher have both seen the air of their ways and, and decided to apologize to the uh, the fans. Uh, who do you think still owes us an apology? I think uh, Chris Carter for the uh, the way the X-Files has ended thus far definitely owes all of us an apology. He ain't, He's not apologizing for shit either because he's got enough series coming up. And you know what? Everyone's already talking about how great it's going to be. That, didn't that, I call it? True. Didn't I call it? Right? Remember I said, after why was everybody excited about the new the new X-Files miniseries, the six episodes? Because everyone hated the last movie, and yet everyone was excited about the series. And as the series was going, people were talking about, oh, this is great. Oh, that sucks. Oh, that sucks. Oh, this oh no, that sucks. Oh, that ending totally sucked, right? That's how everyone ended with the last one, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for me, I, I, I was, I was along for the ride until the very end. And then it was like, really, that's all you gave. That's all you got for us. Come on. Right. And there were people were like, Oh, this sucks. I can't believe you're doing this. Da, da, da. And yet then they, they announced a new series. People are jazzed about it again. I'm going, you said it sucked last time. Every time it sucks. You love, you hate it. You hate it. You hate it. And then you're like, Oh, we're it's like the boyfriend who, you know, you can't stand him while you're dating him. You're constantly fighting, but the moment you break up, you're talking about oh. Hey, hey, hey we're not we're not doing the dishing bitches crossover yet. 
Okay, I'll I'll save that metaphor for for when we when we get together with the gals. Uh, so I, I, if I ever run into Dan Aykroyd, I feel like he owes me an apology for Blues Brothers 2000. You know, I will say this. Um, I never seen Blues Brothers 2000, and that's probably better for me because I saw the movie poster for Blues Brothers 2000 with John Goodman and the little kid. And I was like, I, I don't need any of this. I don't need any of this. <laughs> you, you, made a, you chose wisely, my friend. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, anybody who is involved in Caddyshack 2, which, by the way, also includes Dan Aykroyd. Well, yet another one that I have not seen the moment I saw the trailer for it and Dan Aykroyd in the Bill Murray role. I was like, nope, don't need this either. Yeah. And uh, and I and I think uh, we're owed an apology for both Matrix sequels. That's I, I think we can all agree on that. Right. Oh, absolutely. I remember when I saw when I went to go see Matrix 2, um, it, it was very much like for me for what I the Lord of the Rings movies confession. I'm gonna make a confession right here. I really did not like the Peter Jackson's Lord of the Ring movies. OK. Oh, my God. I saw the first. Right. I saw the first one. I thought it was long, plotting. And I remember going, wow. These movies remind me of why I could never make it through the books. Because the <laughs> books are just, they just meander so much. And the movie meandered. And then I kept seeing all this great thing about the two towers, right? The two towers and how great it was. And and, oh, and I was like, you know, okay, I, I'll go see the two towers because it's got to be better than the first one. No, it was the exact same thing. The two towers was just like Lord of the Rings to me. And it's like, ugh. I went to see Return of the King. Because I went, okay, I saw the first two freaking movies. I'm going to see this through. I'm going to see this through. And, oh, my God, there are days when I just want to I want to I, I find where Peter Jackson is and go, dude, you owe me like nine hours of my life back. Either that or I'm taking nine hours of yours or something. You're listening to nine hours of the Geek Counter, Counter Geek podcast, buddy. Oh, you know that's he's your, listening anyway. <laughs> Same with the Matrix movies. I saw, you know, Matrix Reloaded, right? And I'm like, and it had that abrupt ending. And they're going, what, what's going on here, right? And I was like, okay, I, I and I, I go, I, I was half like, okay, I guess I'll see the third movie because I kind of want to know what happens with this cliffhanger ending, right? You know me and cliffhangers. And 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 then the third one was like probably the most. Again, disappointing ending, and where it's like I don't think the Wachowskis knew how they wanted to end it. Like they had, they they got to the end and they were like, ah, we have no plan. You know, they had no plan. Just like the Cylons, they had no plan. <laughs> well, I think we can all agree that we hate when there's a big build-up, you know, to something, and it and it just doesn't pay off. That definitely happened in the uh, in the Matrix movies. Which brings us to our last and most important topic. The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cabotron.